you are in communion with God and with other people because that's what it means to be human. So that's happening and you can either learn to do that well or not. So you can like you're in the you're in the water. Um, and so you can either learn to swim in a way that it's enjoyable and you know what you're doing and you feel a sense of competence in it, or you can float around and that's fine. And not, there's not, not one of those, they're not like, you don't become a, le uh, any more or lesser of a swimmer, right? Like if you're in the water and you're not drowning, you're swimming. You are now listening to Fellow Citizens, a podcast by Gospel in the Arts. I'm your host, Phil Porto, a creative and entrepreneur who has learned some extremely valuable lessons about faith in the arts, but I've learned them in the hardest ways possible. We hope this podcast can share the highs and lows of some amazing artists in the industry, share lessons they and I have learned or are currently learning, and inspire artists to create beautiful art from an overflow of a healthy walk with the Savior. Today's guest, Justin McRoberts. If you have never heard the name Justin McRoberts, he is an author, speaker, musician, coach, and host of the At Sea podcast. Through his multiple avenues of artistic creativity, Justin strives to push others towards the love of God through both challenge and inspiration. Others describe their encounters with Justin like this. You walk away being inspired and energized to love God and others, but in a very authentic way. That is our hope today, that through our conversation and hanging out with Justin, you will be energized, encouraged, and challenged in your journey with the Father. So, Justin, thank you so much for being part of the Fellow Citizens podcast. How the heck are you today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure, man. Very excited to dive into a little bit about your story and um, getting to know what the Lord has really done in your life throughout the years. But before yeah. we get too far into the podcast... We are going to give our listeners a little bit of a chance to really get to know what kind of person you are through okay. a portion of the podcast that we call. <laughs> so what is it? It's a flash round of questions. We're not going to give you too much time to think. We're just going to okay, throw good. out some questions. You have to throw out the first answer that comes to your mind. This okay, will good. allow our listeners to get to know who you really are, and then they can cast their judgments accordingly on what Amen. they really think of you as a By person. By all means, judge me. <laughs> all right. So here we go. We'll start off real quick, real easy. Favorite music album of all time? That would be... Uh, uh, the Temptation of Adam by Josh Ritter. All right, I'll check that out. If you were stuck on a secluded island for the rest of your life and could only watch one movie on your smartphone, what would it be? One movie on my smartphone. It would be Magnolia, which is a 1990s film with Tom Cruise and uh, Amy Mann did the soundtrack. Awesome, very good choice. What's a better show, The Office or Parks and Rec? Oh gosh, The, well, the Office, yeah. Yes, genius. What is one food that totally grosses you out? <laughs> Fish of any kind. I, don't, yeah. I just can't do it. I tried. I feel you. Uh, you're doing well so far. So if okay, you were good. a superhero, what would your superpower be? Uh, I would just be insanely smart. All right. In the controversial debate for greatest chicken sandwich of all time, who had your vote, Bojangles or Chick-fil-A? Uh, Chick-fil-A. I've actually been to Bojangles like one time, and I, I just can't imagine going back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Books on an app like Kindle Plus or iBooks or keep it old school with the physical copy? Depends entirely on the nature of the book. If it's something more informational, if it's something more like like a study of some kind or whatever, like like then I'll but if it's if it's entertaining or interesting, like I want it in paper. Okay. What was a worse fad? The Macarena or everything that has to do with disco? <laughs> 
Oh gosh. Um, I, uh, everything that has to do with, I actually really like both those things. <laughs> so, like I'm sort of a huge fan of both. The Macarena's a dance that everyone can do. I mean, everyone, so I'm going to, I'm going to run with everything that has, to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say everything that has to do with disco with the exception of disco. I think okay. disco was dope. It's just people did dumb things with it. Okay. All right. And if you did not have to completely grow up and you could be a Toys R Us kid for one area in your life, what would you eliminate from your adulting? Oh, um, uh, not paying my taxes, but having to figure out how much the, the oh. actual work of taxes. I am very happy to pay taxes. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the whole tax structure. I just, um, I don't like having to figure out, <laughs> I don't like doing the math part. <laughs> math. That's yeah. it. Math. Adulting. Right, math. I don't want to do the math. Period. Yeah. I feel you. My, my wife's taking math courses right now and I feel lost like a lost Ugh. puppy when she asks for help. So yeah. if you could not be an artist, what career path would you choose? teaching all right that's awesome man so i give you props you did well and your answers good. really were pretty good except for the whole disco thing so i give you props <laughs> i'm sorry i don't hate disco man I wish it's, I could. it's all right man it's all right we all have you know we all fall short of the glory Nobody's of God. it's perfect. all good some yeah people, exactly some people like disco exactly so exactly. cool so now that we gave our listeners to know the most important things about you um yeah. in a few short sentences can you give us like the Tootsie Pop version of your story? Like, where are you from? What was life like growing up? And what kind of things were you into? Yeah, so I I was born in Oakland, California. Okay. Um, and I, I grew up in Concord, which is just east of Oakland. Um, went to college in Moraga at St. Mary's College. I was an English major with a philosophy minor. Um, was on staff with Young Life. Uh, from 1993 to 1998, it was also substitute teaching, uh, mostly long-term sub jobs um, okay. during that same time. And then I, I um, was married in August 1st, 1999, uh, to my wife Amy. Uh, we've been, so this coming August will be 21 years. We've got two kids. Asa is my nine-year-old, and uh, Caitlin is three. Asa will be 10 and. June and Caitlin just turned three. Um, I planted a church with um, a good friend of mine in 1998. Um, church I still serve at, and I've, I've played every every leadership role there. I've been an elder. I've been okay. paid staff. I've been non-paid staff. I've been paid non-staff. Uh, I've led music. I've taught. I've helped start um, you know, smaller ministry settings. I've done outreach stuff. I've done missions development. Like I've just I've kind of run the gamut there church wise yeah. and I'm still there cause I stick around. Yeah. So the, those are kind of the, the roots yeah. and the basics. So I've, I've grown up in the same place. I stick around. Um, my wife's from San Jose. She and I both live in Martinez, California now. Okay. Martinez, by the way, um, birthplace and home of the martini. Okay. Uh, it's where the martini comes from. Um, and, which is is stated on a plaque on a rock. In you gotta you gotta really take your claim you know. to fl- take your yeah, claim yeah. to fame when you can. Exactly. So Joe DiMaggio apparently and the Martini both from Martinez, and that's where I am now. Is in Martinez, that's awesome. Yeah. So did you grow up in the faith, or was it something that like give us a little bit about when you came into the faith and like what made that real to you? Um. I'll back. I'll 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 play that one backwards and say, um, I don't think there was a. Yeah, that's not true. 
I don't know how I would answer the question in terms of what made it real to me. I think it's been real to me off and on throughout the course of my life. In other okay. words, um, I've been following Jesus since, Jesus since I was 18, and there are times when it's not real to me. Gotcha. Um, it mostly has to do, I think, with practice. When I'm practicing, when I'm when I'm actually like doing the yeah, when I'm actually doing the work of practice, whether that's the practice of prayer or or neighborliness, um, yeah. then it becomes more real. Yeah. Um, when I don't, and by pra- and, and I guess it's like my like the, the like the active consciousness of it. Like if I'm thinking about it, yeah. If, when it slips into just that sounds cheap. When it slips into a kind of automatic um autopilot kind of thing it's just if it's like an element of my life whatever then it ceases to be real um so it's real when i treat it that way i guess it's that's and and which is true of relationships right it's like yeah yeah you sort of at some point like your friends or your spouse or whatever you kind of look up and you're like Oh, they're actual human beings. And we kind yeah. of get lost in the idea. Even the, and, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, this is part of what is important. It's not like you met this person, you fell in love with your friend or your spouse or whatever, and then you're like, hey, we're going to live life together. It's going to be awesome. And, and then like, they, were, they were a whole real person from that moment on. Yeah. They cease to be off and on. Like, you just kind of forget you're talking to real people. And more so if you've been around someone for a really long time, uh, it's really easy to treat them according to like the visions and shadows that you have of them from the past. Like they're not mm. who they are in the moment. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, and you've been there, like you, like friends and you're like, bro, that's like from 10 years ago. I'm a different person now. Like, why yeah. do you talk to me like that? Why is this still hanging over my head? So, and, and so I'm like, you get not, you get treated as if you're not real. You get treated like a figment of someone else's yeah, like, history or imagination. And I've done that. And I do that with, God, I do that with the person of Jesus. Like I'm hanging on to material or emotions or stories from a decade, two decades ago. Yeah. And not dealing with the person in my life right now. Yeah. That's good. So that's a, that's kind of an elaborate way to answer that question. But I think that was the important part. It was like, it's been real off and on if I treat him real. Yeah. I came to the practice of faith because I had a young life leader step into my life when I was 12 and hang around for six years. So I got to watch his life. There's nothing about the story. Like I never, I was never someone who was really moved by like, Oh my gosh, you died on the cross to save me from my sin. That never like got me. It wasn't like, Oh, I need that in my life. Yeah. It just never, like it never, it wasn't like this inspiring. Like I have to have this story. It, uh, I liked the person that Dave Beckley's was and is. I like, like I liked him as a person and I liked the way he treated people. And I wanted whatever it was that I liked his life and I mm-hmm. wanted to be like him. And awesome. so when he said that the engine of that was Jesus, then I said, okay, let's rock that. If Jesus yeah. is what makes you, you, then I want that. That's awesome. It's how I came in the door. Okay. We're going to talk a little bit more about what you were talking about of God being real and God being a person cool. shortly. Yeah. Um, before we do that, how did you get into the arts? Like where did that passion for art start like i know where it's led but just the initial start yeah um so a couple stories um well the general answer to that it's like i've always loved i've always loved music and the arts always specifically music and like books books too um 
that music was a good, was like a first love when I was six. Um, my very, 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 very first album purchase was a, was a, um, a record called synchronicity by a band called the, the band the, called the police. Okay. And, um, cause I was surrounded, I had these older neighbors who were really into music. And so because I was around older neighbors who listened to music, I got to know really good music early on. <laughs> so, um, when I was six, my, one of my favorite neighbors, a kid named Chris Livermore, he was in uh, Kiss Army. Uh, okay. know, remember the band Kiss? Like yeah. 70s, 80s, the glam metal. Little tongue um, out. Yeah. Gene Simmons. Yeah. Yeah. So Gene Simmons was like a, like I loved, I loved Kiss. Like I was so into Kiss. Still, I still, I, I still love glam rock. Um, and we love, we ordered the album Dynasty back when okay. like you would order the vinyl, it would show up in the mail. We ordered the album Dynasty um, and we listened to it for like days on end. And we loved it so much we decided to put on a concert. So we <laughs> literally moved Chris's uh, whole like uh, stereo system with the, the record player and these like massive techniques, SB-150s. They were like, I, you know, I was six. They were taller than me out to his backyard. We took flares, car flares, emergency car flares. We took okay. emergency car flares from his parents' cars. Uh, we made chains from tinfoil and like wore chains and tore, tore our shirts and like made instruments out of like cardboard and tape. And then we, we hit play on the album and like lip synced and rocked out for 18 minutes and 38 seconds, which is, which is side A. And then we flipped over <laughs> Dynasty and played the, like, like I, I just, I wasn't so. C.S. Lewis writes about art. He says uh, that, like, not about art. He says about beauty. That when we see beauty and we take in beauty, it's not enough for the human soul to just admire it from a distance. That really, what happens in the human soul when we admire something we find beautiful is we want to be that. Like, we, yeah. I want, I want to be that. And it doesn't always mean like you go to the rock show and you're like, I totally want to be a rock star. But yeah, what yeah. it draws out of you is like, I, I, I want to be beautiful. Yeah. And so really early on, because I was exposed to great music and people who were willing to spend the time and the energy to actually like get into it and like put on a lip sync concert, like it just sort of set the tone. Like yeah. I didn't want to just like music. I wanted to make music. So by the time yeah. I was 18, um, I was learning the guitar and all that kind of stuff. So it kind of started, it, it yeah. makes some sense. Yeah, I that loved makes a lot music of sense. and I was allowed to love music Yeah, and learn to practice my love for music. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Um, because I think he's a lot younger than you, you were when you started, but I have a two year old son and he initially just fell in love with music ever since yeah. he was young. Like he would walk into my office, see me listening to music on the record player. And one of the first things I remember is him crawling in, sitting up and go dada music and pointing to the record <sighs> player. And that's one of my favorite videos to go back yeah. to because we created such beautiful moments sitting down, listening to music together. That's awesome. And as he's gotten older, you know, he got a guitar. His grandmother bought him a guitar, a little ukulele. Mm -hmm. And every single morning he wakes up and one of the first things he says is, dad, a guitar. And mm -hmm. we go downstairs, he picks it up. He watches Coco Dude. every single day of his life because he wants to, <laughs> he wants to like play along and sing and he sings the yeah. songs and he like learns and he strums and he just loves it. And so he saw 
something that he thought was amazing and he wanted to kind of like do that. Like it was something he was passionate about. No one had to tell him to fall in love with that. Like he just did. And so I love that. I love that idea of it kind of just being something that fosters in your heart and you kind of go with it. Um, and so I want to transition a little bit now. We'll still talk about music, but how I came across your work most recently, like most great things was through suggestion of someone else. So our pastor suggested the books that you and Scott Erickson worked on together, one of them being prayer and the other being may it be so. And he recommended them to our church as a resource. And my wife and I had them in our Amazon cart for months. Um, For some reason or another, they never made it out of the Amazon cart. Um, And then when the whole coronavirus stay at home orders started coming into play, we realized we were going to have a lot more time together. So we thought it'd be a perfect time to get them since we would have the margin in the mornings or at night to be able to do them together. So um, I'll discuss the experience we had with the books in a few short moments. But before I do, I want to say I kind of had a teenage girl fan moment when it comes to preparing for this podcast. <laughs> so the re- <laughs> so the awesome. reason the reason why is, you know, we're we're enjoying these books and I was like, man, I would love to, you know, chat with him on this podcast. You know, we started talking, you said yes, I started preparing for it, went to your website and I saw the tab music and I was like, "Oh, he does music. That's awesome." Yeah. Right after I did that, I read the next line which was your name. It said Justin McRoberts. And then all of a sudden, the word Justin McRoberts and music kind of clicked something in my head. And I was thrown back. And as soon as I finished that thought, I was like, holy cow, is this the Justin McRoberts who I used to jam out to back in my youth group days? And the album cover of Reason for Living popped into my mind. And I was like, no way. I clicked the music tab on your website. Yep. And it pops up. And I was instantly thrown back to my oversized Jinko jeans, Supertones (laughs) t-shirt, Newsy style hat, skanking and singing along to your music at a South Florida concert that you performed with the W's and Five Iron Iron Frenzy. Frenzy. I think it was called like the Holy Roller Tour or something like that. Yes, it was actually... It was me, the insiders, W's, yes. Five Iron Frenzy, 48 yes. shows. And it was during hours. their like skank worship, ska worship uh, craze for well, the no, insiders. So they did, no, so they did, so that's, so they called it Scalleluja. Scalleluja, they, yeah. They did Scalleluja, uh, like I think a couple of years after that. Okay, or that, okay, so this was, might have uh, been like the Motor City ska days or whatever. Yeah, I, I, so the record they were on at the time um, was our newest album ever. I think that's okay. what we were writing at the time. Um, but they, they did the whole Scalia thing with with the Insiders and the Supertones, and then okay. there was one other band. Yeah, and so involved. I was like wicked thrown back, and so mm. it took Where, me back to town, reason. Was that Tampa? That was Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Oh, dude, that was a great show. It was insane, and so like I was that your instantly, church. Yeah, that was the church I grew up in. Yeah. Oh, this is a good sized church, bro. It was it was giant. Yeah. Like crazy. Uh haven't been there in a long time, but that doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I instantly went and I played Reason for Living and 
I waited for that initial guitar drop, that first like drop, and I started living my 14-year-old like days all over again. So I was pumped initially to have you on the podcast, and then, and then that just like solidified it even more. So before you know, we get too far off track, um, yeah. I wanted to ask one thing about that, okay? Go. So Because it's a personal desire of mine. Style-wise, you guys were crazy different, but- it fits so well for me personally yeah. that night. Um, was that a weird experience for you or was it like enjoyable through and through for you like it was for 14-year-old me? Okay. It was both. So um, so yeah, it was really, it was, I mean, I was, you know, for folks who don't know, I mean, like I'm singer-songwriter guy with a guitar. Yeah. Me and an acoustic guitar. And I was literally open at 48 shows, 55 days with, like two kind of like punk ska bands and a swing band, a semi swing band. They weren't that swingy. No, not at all. Um, and, and, um, it worked because we liked each other mm. and it worked because, uh, five iron as a band had developed like a really, a really generous and a favorite. How, how should I say it? Like a, a really generous and, um, kind relationship with their fan base, with okay. their listeners. Like yep. people didn't just like the band; like they felt cared for. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm I'm writing a book right now in which I tell a couple stories about that tour and about and about the way like people just loved the band. And if Five Iron brought someone with them, folks are like, okay, cool. If you're yeah. with them, then you're one of us, and that's how I was treated. That's awesome. Um, so it was it was weird, like in a way, because I was the first thing that it would happen every night. Yeah. But um two things. One is the nature like had I gone out on like a I don't know what the hell would have I would have gone out at the time. Like I don't remember I don't I don't remember what was hitting cuz I yeah. wasn't listening to Christian music. I had okay. no idea. So I like whatever was hitting at the time in terms of like singer songwriter stuff, like if I had gone out on like a kind of a super serious like bookwormy singer songwriter thing, I think I would have I would have hated it. Yeah. Cause like, I'm just, I just, especially the time and I'm not even now, like I'm not like hyper serious, like music guy. Like I love music and I can get serious about it, but like I, it was fun. Yeah. So I, uh, I opened with a, with a ballad version of Ricky Martin's, uh, living La Vida Loca <laughs> and, uh, Dennis, um, would come out, Dennis, who's the, who's the trombone player would come out. He, and then eventually he and Brad would both come out and play like horn solos in the middle. They would just walk out in the middle of my song <laughs> This, and this is like, you know, they would go on an hour and a half, two hours after me. So like yeah. they had to be around early and like wait for a cue and serve me that way. Like I'm just Ooh. this peon, but they would walk on the stage, walk on, play horn part and then walk off. Yeah. So I was loved well there. So it's like, it was odd, but it could have been odder. They were their Their fan base was trained to like actually care for mm. the music and care for the people. Yeah, and they were just this really loving group of people. Yeah, for sure. That was the thing, and I think that was the experience. And when when you know, when you or anyone else talks about like Five Iron, they're friends. They feel yeah. like people you love and know yeah. and feel loved by. And that was the door I walked through. I'm so thankful. That's the tour. I'm so thankful. The very th first thing I did, like professionally in music, was like I, I was halfway through cutting a record, and I went out with a band that I had like zero musical relationship to. Mm. Um, because I learned to love people, um, and be loved, and let that be the thing that actually makes a career. That's awesome. It's like, like 
yeah. that was the ball game for them. That's awesome. Cool. So, so let's move past that to sure. more current time. Um, encountering you with the book. Um, yeah. So this is a personal encounter for me with it. Um, cool. A few days into the book, I had a friend see something um, that I had done, and it was something that he felt he needed to hold me accountable for. And mm-hmm. he seeked counsel from our mutual mentor on how to present it, and then he did. And in all honesty, I did not receive it well at all. Mm. And I made that apparent. I did not respond humbly by any means, <laughs> and it caused all sorts of feelings I in made my heart. That apparent. I know, like <laughs> it was good. obvious, like and so. I had all sorts of feelings in my heart, which showed me that there was still something in me that I thought was gone, that was rearing its ugly head again. And so the next morning, I wake up in all my wrongness, but portraying myself as rightness. Um, And so my wife and I start reading one of the pages in your book, and it seriously called me out and like humbled me. And I knew I immediately needed to repent of the situation and make what I read on the page my prayer. So... That day's page, I think, was like page two in May It Be So. And the illustration was a car being worked on by multiple people. And the prayer was, may I humbly receive the wisdom of those who offer it in love. I am not fully myself without the way you see me and know me. And so in a few short sentences, I got conviction on what I didn't do right, but also Mm. direction on what to pray for. And Mm. so... What I've really loved about these two books is that they are simple but deep, which is sometimes rare to find a lot in faith-based literature or art, maybe even literature as a whole. And I feel as if most work I come across that is simplistic typically is accompanied by a lack of depth. And when there is depth, it typically comes with overcomplicated material where the message can sometimes be lost or misinterpreted. And I don't feel like that's the case with your guys' books. And so what I took from it um, was that these books make it practical. They're short but deep, reminding me that it's not about weighty words, but about depth and not longevity. And so it reminded me of Matthew 6 uh, when it Mm -hmm. says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not like them for, do not do like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so I feel like these two small books fit that to the T. And I also feel like um, it works that it's not just something that was curated by someone's own wisdom. Like it doesn't seem like this was a fabricated uh, piece of art that you created, but something that must have really been revealed to you by God. And so I was also cross-referencing a book that my pastor also had suggested, A Praying Life by Paul Miller, um, Mm. which is a fantastic book. And he says, people struggle to learn how to pray because they are focusing on praying and not on God. So Mm. would you mind sharing maybe some thoughts on that statement and also maybe like either a valley or mountaintop experience um, in your walk that kind of led you to an understanding of a simple yet sincere prayer life that's focused on sure. God and not just the act of praying. Yeah, hit me with that quote again. He says, uh, he said, yeah. uh, he said something, people go. struggle to learn how to pray because they are focusing on praying and not on yeah. God. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the way the way I read the way I read the exact same thought is that um, we confuse the mechanics of prayer with the essence of prayer, the how to versus the the why and the what. Mm. Like this, like what are you trying to do? Yeah. Um, anytime you overthink anything, <laughs> right, it becomes problematic. So yeah, a couple sure. things. One, if there's genius in in and around the the book, the the two books. Uh, prayer for or forty days of practice, or or uh, may it be so forty days of Lord's prayer. If there's genius in it, it's really just the genius of trusting readers that uh, you're not stupid, um, and so and because you're not stupid, we can trust you to not just read, um, but do something with what you've read. And um, more than not being stupid, <laughs> which is very important to believe about people, you're not stupid. Um, if you, insofar as uh, God is real, let's treat God like God is real. Yeah. So I shouldn't. So, like, I wanted to, and again, if if there's genius in the book, let's trust God then in the readers. So let's trust that readers aren't stupid, and then let's trust that God is actually doing something in the hearts, minds, bodies, lives, neighborhoods of our readers. Yeah. That's it. Like, if there's genius in the book, it's just that. Like, we yeah. trust our readers, and we trust the spirit of Christ in our readers period. Yeah. So when you have that experience, what I would suggest and no is like uh, if the book did something it played a role in helping you get to get to what was actually happening in your own life. Mm, the good. book didn't do it like I didn't inform yeah. you about anything. That was in you. Yeah. That was that was there were like the word was active and alive in you. And then this prayer and this image kind of gave you permission to get quiet enough and hear enough to hear what Jesus was actually saying and doing. Yeah, that's That's about who you are. (laughs) That's about who your pastor is. That's about who Christ is. It's like that much to do with what we put in the book. Yeah. And so one of the, one of the ways, and and then I don't, our book isn't a cure for, you know, bad devotional culture, but when there is bad devotional culture, we tend to drown out the activity of God in someone's life with noise and words, instruction, um, coaching, coaxing, manipulation. We tend to drown out like the good psychological and emotional work that human beings are capable of with noise and the instruction and teaching and words and guilt. Um, And uh, (laughs) so uh, if there's genius in the book, it's that. Trust yeah. readers and trust the spirit of Christ in readers. Um, so really a peak experience, it was peak experiences that led me to start the book project the, that for four or five years in a row, my church community in Concord um, really, we have always practiced Lent pretty seriously. Yeah. Um, and more so as a way, not more so, <laughs> including as a way to connect with people who don't have a religious tradition or don't care to have one, <clears throat> like non-church going, non-religious folks. So there's something that happens in, in Americans, happens in general in the world. I don't, I don't live in the world of America though. So in America during Lent, people feel free to be religious for a little while. Mm. Like I'm going to give up chocolate. I'm going to give up like whatever it is, like, you know, depending on who they are, I'm going to give up the internet. I'm going to get whatever. Um, for Lent. I'm going to do this practice for Lent and see what happens. And so I wanted to provide language for that because language is really where culture comes from. How we yeah. name, what we name things. It's all the same stuff. 
Yeah. But how, what, we, what we call things is where culture actually develops. So I wanted to provide language for people's Lenten practice, but specifically I want to provide language for, for the practice of Lent in those who didn't have a, a religious language. Mm. So I started writing these prayers and this is like six plus years ago, maybe seven. So for several years in a row, I would just write these really, really, really short prayers uh, that actually felt and sounded more like it actually felt and sounded in my own psychology. Like, what's it sound like for me to pray? Mm. And the folks who resonated with what I was doing on Facebook and Twitter, that's where it was before, because um, it wasn't an Instagram, Yeah. by the way, when I got this thing started, um, <laughs> were generally people who were in that tribe of folks who didn't have a religious setting. And that's really, that was the, that was kind of the spark. Like yeah. if that's true, if it's true that God is active and alive in people who don't go to church, um, then what can I do to galvanize that? And so I wanted to move away from just posting it online to like making it a book. Yeah. And there is something again, culture wise, there's some kind of weight that comes from putting something in a book that the internet just will never carry that you can post it in a blog, it can be online, and that's fine. But if it's yeah. in a book, it says something to the culture. It says something culturally. I shouldn't say it that way. It says something culturally that's more significant. So yeah. I contacted Scott and said, I'm doing this thing. It needs to be this. Very simple. I think you're doing something similar with imagery. Can we do this? Can we do this together? Here are these prayers. Can you pair Can you pair them up with images? Yeah. And the ball's been rolling since then. That's awesome, man. So there was one part in the book um, – me and my wife, we were reading, and it's a story. You're talking about your dad gave you an autographed Oakland A's World Series baseball. You had it, <laughs> yeah. you know, in this glass case um, in your office, and you walked in one day after your son Asa had a baseball little league game the day before, and you walk in and you see that the ball's not up there anymore, mm-hmm. um, and. Me, me and my wife initially at the same time stopped reading and we we're like, Ooh, like we were just preparing ourselves for like the worst of the worst. Like what's going to happen to Asa? Uh, but then you continue reading and it shows that Asa actually took the ball down, put an autographed baseball of his, like it said, Asa game ball from the game ball that he was given the day before. Yeah. And you then said the value of a gift is rooted in its nature as a gift that it must be given. And then you continue to talk about how we have been given as a gift, a place as sons and daughters by God and how in the Lord's prayer, it shows we are sons and daughters from the first line. And yeah. so our church has spent a lot of time in the last few years on the idea of sonship and daughtership and the importance of that relationship. And another quote by Paul Miller said, So don't hunt for a feeling in prayer. Deep in our psyches, we want an experience with God or an experience in prayer. Once we make that our quest, we lose God. You don't experience God. You get to know him. You submit to him. You enjoy him. He is, after all, a person. Yes, you should check it out. Like I seriously, like reading yours, I feel like you would have already read this. So I think you'll love it. No, I Um, mean, that's very, that's, that is really, um, that's like very much a sentiment in the in the live show that Scott and I have done. Um, and my, I don't know if I got it in text in one of the books, but like part of what I'll communicate um, is that like I don't long term, I don't like I don't want an experience of God. I want God regardless of my experience. And that when in 
like in psychology, if you go to a therapist, it, when, I've, when I've gone to a therapist and had, you know, if I've had conflict with somebody, what a good therapist will ask me is they'll ask me about my experience of that person. Hmm. So that like I like I'm not talking about this person. I'm talking about what happens in me in me in relationships. So I'm still actually talking about me. Yeah. So if I'm talking about my experience of God, I'm really still talking about me. Yeah. So if I'm chasing experience, this is what Paul is just saying, which is I love this. Uh, I don't I don't want to I don't want to chase me around. Like I'm yeah. chasing my tail in prayer. Yeah. I want to have I, I want to have God regardless of the experience. That's a great line. Yeah. It was it was killer. And so if you could for our viewers. Just share maybe a experience in your life, whether it was, you know, a mountaintop where you felt like everything was just like you and God or a valley where you personally came to a realization of that is what a healthy prayer life looks like. The actual getting God, not getting an experience or getting something from God, but actually getting that intimacy in that relationship with him. Hmm. Um, yeah. So for five years ago, Lent, um, I kind of gave up, um, and not actually, I wouldn't have said it the time, but I, I sort of like I gave up, uh, like prayer the way I understood prayer for the season. Okay. Um, and like I just started um, either taking walks or jogs instead, like because I normally run anyways. Like I, I like running. Yeah. And I just stopped. I just stopped using my words. I talk all the time. I write. I write. You know, I'm writing books. I'm writing blogs. I'm writing. You know, I'm writing all the time. So um, I stopped leaning on my own words because I was. Um, I don't even know how I would say it. It's kind of distracted by myself is probably the way I want to say that. Yeah. Um, and um, I just like felt very, how should I say this? It wasn't like sitting in silence for like 20, 30 minutes or an hour and then like, and then sensing God. It was more like over the course of a few weeks having a sense a, like a, a deeper, broader sense of the presence of the divine everywhere in my life. Mm. That when I stopped praying the way I've always understood prayer for the most part, like this sort of like stop and get quiet and bow my head and the words and all that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. It's very good. Um, but when I stopped doing all that stuff <clears throat> and just like ask the spirit to help me pay attention to where the spirit was in my life, in my body, in my neighborhood, my on the trails, wherever, I just developed a much, again, like I said, broader, deeper sense of the divine everywhere. So that yeah. when I reapproached, like reading the Bible, when I reapproached traditional prayer postures, I was coming at it differently. Yeah, that's really good. It was sort of it was sort of renewed all of that um, for me. Yeah. So, if you could give. Our listeners, you know, a, a lot of this is curated towards artists. Um, mm -hmm. Would you be willing to give artists just maybe a you know few short sentences of why you believe it's crucial for artists who are believers to have a healthy prayer life? Um, 
in their creative pursuits. I know for me personally, when I was pursuing music and I was traveling and so forth, I didn't really have that healthy prayer life. And it caused Mm. a lot of things to um, not really (laughs) honor the Lord, you know, more so honoring myself. And um, also a lot of battles that I kind of dealt with on my own as an artist who was professing the faith. Um, And I feel like in these last few years, really starting to understand more about authentic prayer and that relationship through prayer, a lot of that would have been transformed because I wouldn't have just been coming to God at times. I would have been walking with God at all times. Um, So what would you say to artists about the importance of a healthy prayer life? That's happening anyway. So like you're in communion with God and with other people. So um, you can either intentionalize that yeah um or not and um so this so this is just true of everybody that's happening like you are in communion with god and with other people because that's what it means to be human yeah so that's happening and you can either learn to do that well or not so you can like you're in the you're in the water um and so you can either learn to swim in a way that it's enjoyable and you know what you're doing and you feel a sense of competence in it or you can float around and that's fine and none there's not not one of those they're not like you don't become a le- uh any more or lesser of a swimmer right like if you're in the water and you're not drowning you're swimming that's good. so um you're in the water you're in communion with god and, and other people you can either learn to do that well interrelationally like you're talking you know, with other people so go see a freaking therapist please and like take care of your business so that you can you know go do that yeah or don't but it doesn't mean you don't have relationships <laughs> they can have relationships so one it's it's you, you can either learn to do it well or, or 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 not but it's not not happening that's one two your responsibility as an artist if you want to take that mantle is mostly to pay attention to like your primary job is to pay attention to your own life that's really the that at the core of making art is you're paying attention to your own life and um, if God isn't, if, 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 if you are conscious of God in your life, then for the sake of uh, like being honest about your work as an artist, then you like, yeah, to your own self, like being <laughs> to that own self be true. Like <laughs> if you're an artist, your primary responsibility is to pay attention to your own life. And if yeah. God is present to your own life, then, then that means you have a responsibility then to pay attention to that. And then to add on to that, you then also have a responsibility to share that with people who don't, who aren't paying as much attention or don't know how to pay as much attention to their own lives. Cause that's the job. Yeah. So the calling is to pay attention to your own life and listen and respond internally. The job is to make that available to people for their own benefit. So if you want to do the job of an artist, then like making work that helps people navigate their own lives is the, that's the job. Um, if that makes some sense, like you, yeah. you have a responsibility to it. So yeah, do it because it would be good for you. And it is good for you. Like have a, have an act of prayer, figure out what it looks like. And if what you're doing doesn't work, then don't. Yeah. Do something else. Do something yeah. else. Yeah. Um, uh, stop everything if none of it works and, and get that right because that's your calling is to pay attention to life. And then do the work, the job of sharing that. This is what it looked like, felt like, smelt like for me to like relearn 
yeah. God and to learn God as an artist. So that's awesome. That's, that's my encouragement and challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. And we're going to move into, um, another section of the podcast shortly, but before cool. we do, um, would you mind sharing something a little more personal on mm-hmm. a time where you were able to just press into prayer and it could have been one of those, Hey God, I'm at this point, you know, I'm on the mountain, but I really want, you know, this mountain to glorify you. Or it could have been, you know, one of those times where you're like, father, I don't know how anything is going to come out of this for my good, but I'm going to trust you in this Valley season to know um, that you were there and how prayer helped you in either one of those. Um, when, um, we, yeah, I'll do that one. So the last, um, three or so years, well, yeah, okay. It's 2020. So 2000, like 2016 through most of 2018, so about two years there. Very, very, very difficult uh, times communally and relationally hmm. uh, without getting in all the details because there's a bunch of like social political stuff in there that we don't, yeah. have to cover, don't need to cover. But uh, we lost a lot of friends um, internally, um, lost a lot of people from our immediate church family. You never lose the family as family, but. It was very, very like I'm. I'm a really relational person. I like yeah. I like people. I get energy from folks. So I just like losing friends over like religious and political stuff is really hard. Um, that's a garbage way to say that. Is I hate it. Yeah. Um, is how I want to say it. And um, l- spending time um, talking out loud on longer walks or writing songs, which I hadn't written uh, for a while, um, that were, I don't want to say honest, but something like that. Like giving, because I, I say like this, I would, I would take longer walks and I would talk out loud about like the ways I felt blamed for things and the ways like I wanted to turn that back on. I could just talk. To, I was I would talk to God and say, "This person thinks this. You know that. I hate that you let that happen. Um, I'm not that person. I think they're this person. I guess just I just got to like vent, yeah, for a good long season. Um, um, it gave me a place to take that stuff. Um, therapy was another place to take that stuff. And then being able to take that to music again." Um, and write some songs that I didn't actually have intention of making available. I have now there, they'll be available in the next couple of weeks, but, um, just, just a, a way to kind of concentrate some thoughts and emotions into smaller spaces and songs. I don't know what happens in my heart, my soul. I don't know what happens to my heart, my soul, my psychology. If I don't have a place to take those things. Yeah. A place where I feel like I'm actually heard. Yeah. Um, that's not all of what prayer is, but um, to have a place to take deep wounds and frustrations, not like fakey ones, yeah. but like for realsies, like I didn't want to live in the town I lived in anymore because I 
felt like trash. Like, yeah. you know, hearing some of the things I would hear about me from people who used to be under my care pastorally. You know, like, what do you yeah. do? You don't, you don't want to live in the town you live in because people are talking trash. Yeah. Um, having a place to actually take that stuff that is a real place where you actually feel honestly heard without any sort of fear of repercussion that someone's going to talk back and correct you. Hmm. Um, I don't know what happens to, I don't know what happens to my soul in psychology if I don't have a place like that. Yeah. I like that. I, I like that you talk about that's not solely what prayer is for, but I feel like it's a part that we ignore a lot. You know, I feel like can. Yeah. A, 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 a lot of times um, we can focus on the parts of gratitude, you know, like, oh, we pray thanking for our food or thanking for our good day or thanking or making requests, you know, known to God. Yeah. Um, but I feel like a lot of times we miss that we can come to Christ with our woes, with our brokenness and say, I'm dealing with this. Like, I don't yeah. believe this is right. I don't understand why this is happening. Why is this happening? And you look at the Psalms and you see a lot of that. Like you see a lot of him in his prayers giving praise, but you also see a lot of him like venting. And one thing our pastor recently shared is there's a huge difference between praying to the Lord and like sharing your frustrations and what's going on and actually like just complaining and how complaining really doesn't yeah. ever fix anything, but being sincere and venting those frustrations and asking the Lord like what he's doing through those are where breakthrough can really happen. So I thank you for being honest because yeah. that, that's something that we can't ignore in prayer because those are the things that we then try to battle on our own and we wind up being more unhealthy because we're not really willing to put those before the only one who can actually make any sense of that mess anyway. Yeah. Well, if you don't have, if you don't, again, if you don't intentionalize it, yeah. If you don't give grief, uh, anger, sadness, um, frustration, fear, if you don't give those things their place yeah. intentionally, they'll show up where you don't want them to be. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's real good. So They'll just take the space. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Thank you. Um, so for the last few minutes, I wanted to talk about how a few of those things play out on some things that I read on your website. Um, cool. One of my favorite things to do is in reading a bio, see something that doesn't necessarily pop up on a lot of other artists' uh, pages. Like what is sure. it that makes them different or their pursuit different? And so what really stood out to me um, that I think only comes from an experience and a journey that is led by the Father's heart, which is learned through times in prayer, was where you said, what I create is to help live generously as well as help you faithfully produce good work in the world. So I want to just take a minute to talk about the idea of good work in the world. What does that look like to you for the artist that is either touring for thousands, you know, nightly, or the poet that's performing for 20 Instagram followers like how does that idea of good work implement itself in the life of life of artists, no matter where they are in their journey? Uh, yeah. So one, I don't get to decide that for someone else. Um, they, you know, you get to decide, get to, and have to decide what your good work looks like. What's it look like for you to do good work in the world? 
because um, it's not for everyone to yeah. be in front of thousands. It's not for everyone to make um, you know poetry public. Um, and that's not it's not exactly like a to his or her their own kind of a thing. Um, it's not that individual per se, but um, yeah, I don't like someone, no one gets to decide for the most part. Um, yeah. No one who doesn't know you gets to decide what your good work looks like. So your good yeah. work, what you're responsible to and for in the world is a, is a thing you work out in your heart, your soul, your mind between you and the spirit of God and with people who love you. And then with the people who will benefit from enjoy, consume and pay for Yeah. If you want to sell it, your, your work. Yeah. Um, so good. What does it mean to make, to make good work? Um, <laughs> uh, it could mean all kinds of things. It yeah. means, it means you set a, a target that makes sense for your life and then do everything within your power to hit it. Yeah. So, so for some folks, um, it, you know, for some folks you should, um, you're so, yeah. So this, this will be, a, this, I don't know if this will be trash or not, but you know, if you, if you are a hyper talented person with massive connections, um, like I have had friends who like, the thing you're doing, what it means for your work to be good is that it sells, sells millions of copies. Hmm. And if it's not selling like that, then it's probably not as good as it should because <laughs> that's how yeah. good you are. Yeah. And that's how your connections are and that's how you're set up. For other folks, right now I'm, I'm coaching someone for whom like what good is is to, is to actually like ship that first uh, chapter to, to the public and send it out to your email. Yeah. Like this is, that's what, what would be good for this particular artist writer person is like, is to finish like putting her email list together and send that first piece to like, I think it's going to be like 40 or 50 people. Yeah. Yeah. I like that's, that. I like, that's good. I like the idea of we can't tell people what that good work is, but good work is putting your hand to the thing that you feel like you it's your faithfulness. Have felt. Like, yeah, what do you, exactly. Like, what's your responsibility of faithfulness and execute it? And, yeah. And, and so, That's which again, part it. of what I do as a coach is like I help folks figure what that figure out what that is and what it's not. Because part of what your work, part of good work, it, part of what it means for it to be good work in your life is like, it's, uh, it's not like, well, they have 50,000 followers on Instagram and I should probably get there. No. No, yeah. you probably shouldn't because you don't know any of those 50,000 people. Like, yeah. You shouldn't be responsible to those folks. Be responsible to the people in front of you. What's in your guts? Like figuring out what it is you're actually responsible for. Too. What are your specific, what are your specifics? Figure those out, and then execute on those. That's what makes it good. Is faithfulness. Yeah. What's in your heart to do? Legitimately. What's in your capacity and skill set to achieve? Actually. Um. Who do you want to do that for? Yeah. In actuality, and then execute on those things. That's what makes it good work. That, yeah, that's exactly you know what 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 I would say I, I got from you know your bio was cool. you know the the part that I love about it is that you talk about the coaching aspect you know like mm -hmm. you need someone in your life that helps you to see those things and also be able to call it out if those things aren't there you know yep um, which without that healthy mentor in your life or mm -hmm. that, you know, that, that friend who 
is in pursuits of things that, or has already pursued the things that you are currently pursuing is able to see those things that are blind spots. So yeah, that's killer. So the next part that I loved, it says, whether I'm teaching, sharing songs or stories, leading a workshop on the creative process. And then this is the part I really want to stick on or inviting folks to engage in the fight against global poverty. I value every opportunity to encourage, challenge, and inspire. Can we quickly, before we end, just talk about your your desire to invite people into that fight against global prov- poverty? I'm currently reading another book that my pastor encouraged me. I really feel like I should just change this podcast to like be called <laughs> "This is what my pastor suggested." The books I'm to reading, me. yeah, my pastor, yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyway, the book's called "The Holy Longing" um, by Ronald Rollheiser. Um, okay. And he, he's got one part in the book where he's talking about four pillars of like healthy, genuine Christian spirituality. Um, and I want to read an excerpt and get kind of your opinion on it um, and also how it shapes your you know, perspective. Um, it says, the call to become involved in helping the poor to find justice is a non-negotiable pillar within Christian spirituality. Much of our culture today, and conservative Christianity in particular, struggles with this, protesting that this is really a question of politics and not something that lies at the very heart of religion itself. But as Jesus himself makes clear, there can be no real relationship with him when the poor are neglected and injustice abounds. When we make spiritually when, when we make spiritually essentially a privatized thing cut off from the poor and the demands for justice that are found there, it soon degenerates into mere private therapy, an art form, or worse still, an unhealthy clique. And so he pretty much says, like, we cannot separate authentic Christianity and serving and loving those that are poor, marginalized, that need a voice. Um, and so when you put that your actual artistic good work wants to lead people to a heart for um, the fight against global poverty, like how did you get to that point and like how do you align with seeing that in form in, in the sense of, yes, a, a Christian should have the heart of the father and the father has a heart for the poor? Um, so... Um, um, on the personal level, both my parents grew up poor. Okay. Um, uh, like legit, like legit poor, like dirt floors poor kind of a thing. Um, I'm I'm part of the first generation on either side of my family, myself and some cousin, two cousins on my mom's side, two gone to college. Like no one had gone to college before. Mm. Um, so uh, to some degree, it's, it's a little bit where I come from. So it's personal. Um, it's I personally connect with, uh, you know, the instruction, the commandment, yeah, <laughs> to care for the poor, uh, which leads me to the second part. Like it's just forever been true uh, in the in the biblical narrative that that God has a very specific concern about the alien, the poor, the downtrodden, the cast out. Like there's just like there you don't get a you don't you don't have a gospel that doesn't include. Um, people who get left out of systems mm. that just isn't, it's just not real. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jesus announces his ministry by, you know, reading through Isaiah and talking about like, I've been anointed to preach good news to the poor. <laughs> and you can, you can spiritualize that all, 
all, all you want. And then if you not spiritualize that, you can, you, you can try to recontextualize that all you want as a human being. Like if you want to make the, Oh, he, he means that in a, you know, in a kind of spiritual sense. Yeah. No, that's not what the word means. And now you're doing the thing you don't like, you know, liberals doing or whatever, when they recontextualize scripture like, yeah, no, he means the poor. If you want to be a literalist, Jesus actually means the poor when he talks about the poor. Um, so like it's personal, I connect with it, but also it's a commandment. I mean, he literally, not commandment in, the, in terms of the 10, but like Jesus literally like, said, this is what I'm, this is what I'm here to do. And if that's what I'm here to do, if that's what he's here to do. And I want to be about him. Then I need to be about what he's about. Um, so yeah, therefore really it becomes good. a metric at the very least of uh, whether I'm actually serious about Jesus. And I know yeah. people hate that kind of thing. It's like, well, I've got my own calling. That's cool. But if your personal calling doesn't align in some way, shape, or form with the shape of the heart of Jesus, then can you call it a Christian calling? Yeah. yeah. So not every church has to have, uh, it has to, you know, sponsor kids with compassion or uh, through Compassion International. Not every church has to have a building project with food for the hungry. Not every church has to throw, you know, money at, in the international justice mission or build wells uh with uh with blood water but if you're not actively serving caring for people who are um not just spiritually poor whatever you, however we wanted to find that um who are economically poor who are uh politically left out if your church body in your life, if you're not actually doing that, then you have to then figure out how to reconcile that with the person of Jesus. It's yeah. not about me and my politics. That's literally Jesus. Yeah. So if you want to be a literalist and you want to follow Jesus, who's literally true and literal person had a little history and said and literally said things, but you don't have an active participation in the lives of people who are politically, socially, economically poor then you got to take that up with him. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So I could sit and talk to you all day. Um, yeah, and I, I got to bounce too. So Yeah, I don't think our viewers will. But before we get off, there's two things I want to do. First, yeah. can you tell our viewers where they can find you, follow you, support you, and what you're sure. doing? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, every, I'm not everywhere, everywhere. But like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter uh, are places I'd spend – a lot of my time online. You can find most of my life, uh, at least portals to my life online through justinmcroberts.com. Um, I'm, I'm dropping music right now. So I uh, dropped a second single a couple of days ago. Uh, I'll drop a third single next week and then a full uh, EP that comes out on May 5th. Um, I'll, and that's anywhere you listen to music from yeah. Spotify to Amazon to Google to you know, I set up my you know band 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 camp and all that kind of stuff. Um, but everything is mostly accessible, like I said, through uh, places you already probably spend time: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Awesome, cool. So the last thing we're going to do is yeah. we do something called the bar for bar recap. And so what it is <clears throat> is every week, whether it's a spoken word artist or a hip hop artist or any other form of artists using words, we have one artist that we get 
and partner with to be able to do a little recap of our time with you. They'll either create a verse or a poem based oh, off cool. of the inspiration on the things that we talked about or what hmm. they knew about the artist. So with spoken word, which is what we're doing today, we have an artist by the name of TV Rights, and we sent her a few points about you that we personally oh, knew wow. last night. And then we also allowed her to sit in with a quiet microphone all throughout this session to finish mm. curating this spoken wow. word piece and how she was inspired by your work and the things that she heard on this podcast. So Tiffany, wow. thank you so much for being part of this. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Can you hear me? Yes. 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 Thank you, Justin, for those gems. I was sitting here snapping the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> so awesome. So we're going to play um, an instrumental by an artist by the name of John McRae. And this is cool. how Tiffany will do her piece. And we hope you enjoy it. May this be a prayer for the contents of my heart for the inward parts designed to live and fight, but that grew tired along the way, a prayer for the tangled up art inside, for the art of generosity that may crop up crooked beneath ribs competing for the bread of a brother, protesting for the gains of another while rejecting to connect with caring, too afraid to see Christ in their story. Let this be a prayer for a heart of empathy and humility, for the heartbeat of a runner, with authentic hope fueling love deep beneath flesh, for cycles of practice wanting realness everywhere, an ancestral longing for rhythms rebooted off of autopilot, a prayer for this earthly body with an old soul wanting to be aligned with what you've already said but imploding with cosmos big questions causing black holes in arteries questions that kiss earthly lips like backyard emergency flares saying creator are you still inspired god can I trust you? Lord, have you left us? Father, do you hold your children? May this be a prayer for renewal, a letting go of the lie that says you don't, a prayer for the 40 days or more that you'll carry me across turbulent waters just to prove you do, a prayer for the songs to come, for ocean it is well tunes that prove your friendship can still produce laughter among the waves with the poor in spirit. May this be a prayer for your literal promises to come alive in us. When the fragile forget-me-not thoughts try to overrun these magnolias in my chest, planted along the paths you set out for me by your melodies, for the thoughts you'll have to continue to reauthor time and time again. Let this be a prayer for trusting in your quietness concentrating on being heard by you alone. May this be a prayer for the wounded contents of my heart, a prayer to our God in heaven forever be his name, who hears us under the rocks of our request, beneath the concrete of my complaints. Let this be a declaration of what you claimed in the dark, 
a liturgy of syllables leaving unbound lips, prayers that tell the stories of relationships, perfected, placed in your hands, a prayer against a lie pitching to us that we are not yours, that our brokenness is unknown to you, a prayer that this earth be known by you, be held by you, moved towards you, renewed through you. Let each intricate part that is fighting to recall the reason for living has always been you, to be loved by you. May this be a prayer for a coming to consciousness to you. Individuals move towards a collective, a collection of freed captives creating echoes and reflections of what you've already spoken, what you've already given us, sonship, daughterhood, life, art, good work in your good hands, curated by you alone first. That's good, man. <laughs> Thank you, Tiffany. That's fantastic. Thank, Thank you, you, Justin. Thank you, Tiffany. You can follow her at TV Rights on all of social media. Justin, thank you so much once again for blessing us and blessing our listeners. And we continue to pray that you continue to seek the Lord and make amazing art that we can all continue to support. Gonna do it, man. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Fellow Citizens Podcast brought to you by Gospel in the Arts. We hope that you have been encouraged and challenged and that you would share this resource to other artists who may need to hear these truths. Be safe and be blessed.